0: Hello and welcome to the Mississauga Life and Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Jaffrey. Today we're going to be getting into some very interesting stuff. As always, we're going to be talking about housing affordability. We're going to get into population growth uh, in the last little while, and we'll also be talking about consumer delinquencies. This is something we like to touch upon every couple of weeks, just to kind of see what kind of trends we're having, uh, you know, right now, maybe going forward. By the way, folks, if you find value in these podcasts, please consider subscribing and also sharing with friends and family. All right, let's get right into it. Housing affordability is still dreadful. No surprise there, but it is improving. All right. Well, how's it improving? For the last six months, we've seen that mortgage payments on average, when we're talking about the Canadian national average, they've kind of remained the same, but we've seen incomes go up a little bit. Uh, past six months during a time where average hourly wages have surged 3.9% nationally uh, and 5.4% year over year. So as a result, you know, it, 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 the Bank of Canada says that this is a good thing. It's a positive sign. Housing affordability is getting better. It's not what it was three years ago, four years ago. Yes, but it's getting better. There's there's some light at the end of the tunnel, so we're hoping it continues. The trends are are going to be positive. Okay, so just a snapshot. I mean, housing affordability—what it was, where we kind of saw like a balance between you know earning a, a good income and having a good lifestyle uh, in Canada. I mean. It, I remember those days, right? Like, so we're looking at the numbers as far back as uh, the year 2000. So the housing affordability index, um, you know, let's just on a scale of 20% all the way up to like 60%. The highest we've had it was in 1990. It was at about 55%, the housing affordability index. Uh, you know, again, we're taking into account income, cost of living, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really, really high at that time. And then in a few years, it came down like, like 1996 it was like between 30 and 35% maybe 33% and that seemed to be like the sweet spot where people would still be like, yeah, you know what? I'm not living a great life, but everything is good. You know, I'm able to pay my, my mortgage payments, et cetera, et cetera. I have a quality of life that's still considered desirable. So 30 to 35% is where it kind of stayed like 30, I would say 30 to 33% from 2000 all the way up to 2016. 2016, it started to go up from some 2016 to 2020, that same housing affordability affordability index went from 35% to about 36 37%. That's where it stayed all the way up to the pandemic times. After the pandemic, when I don't know what happened, things just went crazy. Housing affordability index, I mean, in the last, what we're talking, two years, three years, it's gone up to over 50%. So, 51, 52% housing affordability index. What that pretty much means is 50% of your income is going into housing, which doesn't leave you with a lot of um, income to do other things, you know, disposable income to like go to the cottage, go on vacation, whatever that may be. So, it's getting better. We've seen a downward trend because income is going up and payments have kind of stayed the same, hoping that it continues to come down. And we're back to thirty to thirty-two percent, which seemed to have been the sweet spot from like ninety ninety-six all the way up to like twenty twenty. All right. Um does sound like a long. Does not sound like a lot? A long time. 1996 to twenty twenty. That's about twenty five years. But man, things have changed. Okay. So latest population data. So yet another annual population growth. Right. The numbers being thrown around a lot in videos and news and in, in all sorts of different uh, blogs. I'm reading. One million people came to Canada in twenty twenty two. Obviously, they're doing that to kind of bridge the gap because there's been a, a labor shortage. If you've been to like a Home Depot or something, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, so we had a million people come in. And the reason why it's important to kind of dissect this figure is because a lot of people will hear this number. A million people came to Canada. And they're going to say, oh, wow, this is great because you know I have an investment property or I want to get an investment property and people are going to continue to come. And so real estate is going to continue to shoot up. So real estate is a really good investment vehicle when you compare it to other things, in my opinion, like stocks or cryptocurrency. But even there, it's a long-term play, right? Even if you're talking about the GTA, it's a long-term play. Keep in mind, up till about maybe four or five years ago, you could... Maybe a little bit longer than five years ago, you could still be in a net flow positive situation if you purchased an investment property with like 20% down. That was possible. Now, with the high interest rates, and let's say you bought something maybe two years ago, three years ago, um, you're out of pocket, like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a month, just so you hold on to that property, uh servicing the debt with the high, um, rental rates that are being charged on the market today. So yes, a million people came in, but let's take a look at it closer because this is, this could kind of impact sort of like your view on future projections of where the real estate market might end up. Okay. So non permanent residents surge in Q4 Canada added nearly 200,000 net non permanent residents in Q4, bringing in an annual total over to 600,000. So yes, you had a million people coming to Canada, but majority of them six hundred thousand were non permanent residents. I think that's the first time this ever happened. To kind of continue, you know, to kind of continue to battle that or to bridge that gap uh, in the labor shortage that we're having, we had more NPRs come in than actual, you know, sort of landed immigrants. Um, why that is important to note? Simply because non permanent residents have a history of kind of leaving when the job market isn't doing great. And I think that's that's just logical. It just kind of makes sense to do that. So and the reason I bring that up at this point is because, you know, last podcast, or maybe two podcasts where we talked about how there were projections by all these think tanks that yeah, we're definitely headed into a recession. So if that does happen and you have, let's just say, 25, 50% of these NPRs leave, uh, then you have a gap. Then you have not that same amount of demand for rental properties, because these guys come in to rent. They're not purchasing. They're gonna come in and rent. And so if a chunk of them leave, then that does put a downward pressure on rental prices. So if you are looking at renting, you're cheering for this if you're uh, somebody who owns a property and you're getting good rental income, this is not such a great number for you to hear, but it's good to you, good for you to be kind of in touch with reality and kind of be prepared for the worst case scenario. Um, last time something like this happened where the NPR's outpaced uh, landed immigrants was somewhere around 1989. All right okay, so good to note uh, okay. So unemployment is driving the population growth. Yeah. Uh, we won't need 2 million non-permanent residents in the country if the unemployment rate starts to rise. This cohort sees outflows in every recession with the most nasty being in the early 90s when it was cut in half. So prepare for that. If the worst case scenario happens, half of these NPRs leave, what sort of impact would that have uh, You know, on the real estate market? Resale not so much. Rental, pretty significant. If we hit a recession later this year or early 2024, people will be surprised at how quickly headline population growth slows. And that will probably be a good thing. Um, immigration should be robust. However, it's really hard to accept that population growth at over a million a year won't have some tremendously negative externalities. All right, let's move on to household debt. So household debt, uh, again, not surprisingly, it's jumping up. It's going up because rates have gone up eight times in the last year. Um, we went from having like one, two percent interest rates to like close to six. So household interest payments spiked in the fourth quarter, rising a record 14.1% quarter over quarter and 45% year over year. Not surprised with the rising interest rates. It could have been worse. How could it have been worse? Well. We know that banks are uh, doing everything possible to make sure that people don't lose their homes. I have seen the number of uh, power sale properties come on the market go up. Um, You know, we went from having like no power sale properties a month to like maybe having 30 to 40. But in the grand scale of things, it's not a big number. Uh, because the banks are doing everything they can in their power to help people keep their homes, which means uh, extending the amortizations from 25 to 40 years, working out all sorts of, all, all sorts of different um, solutions to these problems so that people can hold on to their properties. Uh, so a report came out of CIBC that one-fifth of their mortgage books seeing negative amortization, uh, something that was just sort of unthinkable about a year ago. I, I would say like of the people I talked to two years ago, before the rate hikes, hey, we're in a low interest environment for the rest of our lives. This is how it's going to be. This is the new norm. Well, it goes to show you, right? You can't really uh, predict what the future is going to do. Uh, Consumer insolvencies. So consumer insolvencies, the reason we look at it is we're, we're not in any sort of dangerous positions right now because... Yes, they're up. We're basically going through these numbers to see what kind of trend there is. There is an upward trend. So consumer insolvencies surged 33% year over year. Now, if you were to like take a look at that number like in isolation, it sounds scary, but it's still a small amount. Now I'll go into a little bit more detail in a bit. Um, so that represents the steepest year over year increase since 2009. Uh notably, the dollar volume of liabilities in those filings was up 47% because uh, a large chunk of that, those filings were homeowner filings where the debt service need to be much higher. Okay, so consumer insolvencies in Canada. Jump back to 2013. Uh, let's say from 2013 all the way up to 2019, you were looking at about 120,000 insolvencies per year, You know, 10,000 up or down uh, year over year. Give or take. Uh, it's when the pandemic happened and people were kind of getting paid out, CERB and things like that. Uh, the delinquencies dropped from like 140,000 delinquencies a year for, for Canada all the way down to just under 90,000, right? So 140 to 90, you're looking at 50,000 less delinquencies a year. We are seeing an upward trend now. And like I mentioned, 33% year over year sounds scary if you take a look at it in isolation. But we went from about just under 90,000 insolvencies in 2021 to about 100,000 100, in January 2023. So 10,000 more, 33% more, uh, but really, really low compared to what we've been seeing for the last little while, maybe a decade. We've been seeing around 120,000. We're at about 100,000 now. All right. So we're still low. However, the trend is taking upwards. Something to keep in mind. All right. Delinquency rates when it comes to uh, credit cards for car loan repayments, similar situation. Um, going back to 2015, the charts show that, uh, we were at, you know, we went from a low of this is for credit cards, by the way. We went from a low of 0.6% for credit card delinquencies from 2015 to 2022. We're at 0.85. 0.85. So from 0.6 to 0.85%. So not a huge chunk, still under 1% uh, of credit card holders becoming delinquent. So again, no red flags. It is an upward trend. Keep your eye on it and kind of determine and plan uh, for the future based on these numbers. Then auto is a similar situation. Home equity line of credit, also similar situation. Uh, I mean, it was Close to 0.1%. And it's still right now, it's, it's a little bit under 0.1%. Not a much, uh, much of a change. Mortgages or mortgage delinquencies have just continued to go down in the last, uh, 10 years or so. Um, they've just gone from point, just under 0.3% all the way down to 0.1%. Like they're just going down. And the reason why they're going down is because unlike credit cards, uh, you know, your auto car loan repayments, uh, HELOC, Mortgage. Uh, the reason why we haven't seen the delinquencies go up like crazy is because they've kind of worked with the people to make sure that they're able to hold on to their homes, extended amortizations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, a lot of people are just like trigger rates. Like, I mean, I think thirty percent of people have hit their trigger rates, so they're working with them. So, in that sense, it seems so far everything is fine. But hey, look, at the end of the day, you got to pay the piper. Right? So even though the banks have kind of worked with you to like allow you to stay onto your home or to hold onto your home with a higher interest rate and all that stuff, uh, somehow somewhere there's going to be more money that's going to be taken out of this, out of your pocket and put into the bank's pocket eventually one way or the other. All right. Well, that's the uh, current data and it shows us that, uh, things are more or less the same. There is a little bit upward trend of delinquencies. Uh, we've had a lot of people come into the country that are non-permanent residents and things can change. And, you know, we, by all accounts, like I said before, it looks like we're, we might be going to a recession, but it's good to kind of know like where we're standing at the moment with the latest data. I'm hoping that interest rates come down. Right, honestly, I think we're all hoping for that. The interest rates come down sooner rather than later, so we can kind of start, continue, or start building um, the wealth that we need to kind of, you know, give us that comfort, shield us from uh, danger down the road. Something like this, if it were to ever happen again, we should be ready for it. Uh, that's it for this episode. Until next time, have yourself a great day.